Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the remarkable Rebecca Smith on the show. Beck is a former fitness industry professional, a former physiotherapist, a current professional public speaker, psychology educator, and a well-being advisor and coach. Beck enables transformation by teaching a layered psychological skill set we need to perform at our best. She's a former researcher, physiotherapist, and sponsored athlete who now uses applied neuroscience and psychology to build high-functioning individuals, teams, and organizations. Beck loves working with out-of-the-box thinkers and guiding them to build the confidence they need to challenge the status quo and make a real difference in the world. Beck's purpose is to expand awareness and elevate consciousness so we can love ourselves, each other, and the planet. The vehicle she uses is mental fitness, where she teaches practical bite-sized psychological exercises which help shift the mindsets and behaviors. We talked about her feeling of not belonging into a community or group and feeling as though she was just a fringe dweller. We talked about the idea of being normal and what is considered normal and who actually decides what is normal. We then talked about the realism of burnout and the negative mental health effects that working from home has and how we can fill up our own cup by designing circuit breakers into our lives. Beck and I get vulnerable in this conversation and the chat gets real. We explored and we tried to understand each other's own identities and mental models of self-worth. We then rounded off the podcast with Beck working through her nine enablers to mental fitness where we discuss her models on trust, compassion, creativity, authenticity, awareness, character, values, stillness, and emotional mastery. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Beck, and I know you're absolutely going to love this chat. If you'd like to check out her profile, you can find her at Rebecca Smith on LinkedIn. That's Rebecca, spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H, Smith. Feel free to connect with me also, where you can find me at Daniel Franco on LinkedIn. (laughs) If you'd like to learn more about some of the amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at the Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have the wonderful Beck Smith on the show. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Been looking forward to this one. Mental fitness and and well-being is very very topical at the moment in the world, and something that I'm sure you're very very busy with. Can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself and where you've come from to where you find yourself today, working with you know large corporates and businesses in that mental health space? Yeah, sure. I actually started off my career as a psychology researcher and was delving into cross-cultural communication. So it sparked my interest in how do we engage with each other for our own well-being as well as other people's well-being. Mm-hmm. But ironically in that process I found that my well-being was taking a plummet because mm. 
most of the work in that arena was sitting at a desk, it was doing a lot of data entry, report writing, and I kind of felt like those reports would end up on somebody's desk and not really go anywhere and be used from that. I was really disconnected from the end user and what benefit that my research was going to bring. So I felt like it was really important for me to get a little bit more hands-on. And I literally did that and became a physiotherapist. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. And so I went back and did some more training, went into a physiotherapy career for 10 years and absolutely loved it. But in that period, I hit professional burnout three times. Ouch. Just hit this wall, not being able to function properly, having yep. to take sick leave from work for an extended period. And looking back, a lot of that was due to empathy fatigue mm-hmm. and a lot of the time when people were coming into me with their pain stories, I could see a lot of my own pain reflected back in them. Mm. And I went, mm, there's something here that I need to do a bigger piece of work around for myself and healing my own pain stories. Mm. But also I think I need to get away from this kind of work for a while so I can do that and help people in a different way. So I was really fueled by one of my values around making a difference to pull away from physiotherapy and went back to psychology but in a different way. So in 2016 I did a diploma in positive psychology and wellbeing and since 2017 I've been working full-time in the space of psychology education. So that's the quick nutshell trip. Well done. What, what was it about the your time we hit burnout three times? I mean... We often hear the saying, you can't keep banging your head against the wall and expecting different results. And, and, and to hit burnout three times, was there a lack of self-awareness there that you didn't see at that point? And then now you've learned, like through those experiences you've learned now and you, now you obviously manage it very, very well. Can you explain what happened to you in those three experiences? Yeah, thank you for asking because I think that there's two big pieces there that I've recognised. One was a lack of the depth of self-awareness. While I would have considered myself to have been relatively self-aware, there were also things happening at a subconscious level that I wasn't aware of where when people would share certain things with me, I would get triggered but Mm. not really recognise why. Mm. And so the other piece to that was that there was a whole bunch of healing that I had to do from old stuff Mm. that wasn't happening at that time. And to get out of that line of work and to go a little bit more broad for a while was really healthy for me because it gave me that perspective to step back and really ask myself less, what do other people need from me? And more, what do I need so I can be better for other people? Yeah, I love that. I actually really resonate with that. Michelle, who is my business partner with uh, Synergy IQ, she often says to me, Dan, you have an overactive empathy gland. This kind of her way of explaining it. You've got to just chill the F out really. But um, the, I think for me that it, you, you talked about that you burnt out from giving too much. I think it is one thing that we, we see quite a fair bit, you know, people saying yes to almost everything and then yep. pushing themselves to, to the limit. Yep. How do you... How do you manage that? How do you change your psychology to the point where others are no longer the priority and your own self is the priority? I think first of all you have to recognise that filling your cup is important Mm. because if you don't have that awareness that, oh, I need to and I deserve to take a break here to refuel, then you will keep running your tank dry. 
Mm. And I think secondly, it's then about practising new ways of being, like boundary setting, for instance, being able to say no, being comfortable to say no in a world where you're often expected to just say yes and keep going and do more. Part of that is around going, I need to honour less doing and more being and set boundaries around what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with. And as a physiotherapist, I was not doing that. I was keeping in mind that, oh, the business needs me to keep working and bringing clients in and working with clients. My clients need me. So I was really focused on what my clients wanted and needed, what the business wanted and needed from me, and just forgot about setting my own boundaries about stating this is what I want and Mm. this is what I need. I'd fit clients in after hours. I'd fit them into my lunch break. And there was also a bit of an ego trip to that, right? Mm. You know, I'm so important that people want to see me. I'm so in demand. And so (laughs) there was this boost of self-esteem that comes with that that becomes a bit addictive. So in recognising that that was what my ego needed but not what I as a being needed was really essential. Yeah, that's hitting home very, very hard. The management, um, really I can only use my own personal examples here which I hope majority well a lot of people can resonate with it's the management of the two worlds right and when I say two worlds being work and life life Mm. being family and friends you know in a work sense I'll generally say yes to most things in in the exact same scenario of what you said is like oh I'm in demand and it feels good and all the above and business seems to be doing well and I'll I want to be everything to everyone so to speak but then when you get home you're exhausted <laughs> and you then I have an extroverted wife, for example, that wants to go out and do all these other things and then I, I think that's the point in which I reach burnout is that there is never a time in which I can rest because my two worlds just collide. Mm. Is that um, – and often what happens is that the family and life side of things suffers because I just say no to everything in that space. Mm. Is it just a matter of managing those two different and as a same priority or how do you sort of entwine those two worlds? Yeah, great question. I feel like I don't compartmentalise my worlds as well as you might. Like Mm. I think that there's probably a lot more bleeding over in my worlds because as a consultant I do a lot of collaboration with other consultants Mm. and we might do projects together and they might also be friends of mine. So, you know, my friends are woven into my work life Mm. and so there's probably a bit of crossover there but it's really making me think about and I was smiling when you were talking about going home to an extroverted partner because that was my life for years and years as well and I had an extroverted stepdaughter and an extroverted (laughs) partner And I would just get home after my physio work or even my speaking work and just be so exhausted and mm. need that time out. And it circled back again to asking myself and then being able to express what do I want and what do I need here. So sometimes just getting home and having a five-minute gap to myself to recharge, to refuel and then go, okay, how is everybody else yeah. now? But sometimes just getting home and saying I'm really keen to hear about your day I'm going to circle back to you once I've had a shower, yeah. you know, and just kind of lock myself in the bathroom yeah, for a little while. Absolutely. Those little, I love to talk about when we're talking about stillness or breaks or filling up your cup, not just where can you get your big macro doses mm. of time for yourself and energy for yourself, but where can you get your micro doses as well? Because often that's more realistic. Uh, 
It's very relevant to me right now what you're saying. You know, you said the shower, but I actually use the circuit breaker between coming home from work to into family life. I go for a run. Yeah, nice. And I, it's a form of exercise and that's almost become an expectation now. Like my family know the moment I walk through the door, don't expect dad to do anything for the next hour because he's probably going to be out for a run. Yep. Um, and then, then once I've finished that run. But lately I've had a knee injury. And that I've not been able to get out and run. Yep. And, I, and like uh, we'll talk about it. I'll ask a question a bit further down the track when we're talking about um, the stillness part, which is something I'm interested in. Yeah, I've been really suffering, really suffering just for the removal of that circuit breaker because it's been in place for about 12 months now. Oh, yep. So not doing it for a week has completely thrown me. Wow, you haven't been able to substitute no. with something else? Well, I could have possibly, but I it was it was the element of I'm absolutely you know you're a physio right I'm just going to stay off my leg for so I could have gone for a walk or done something but I went no I'm just going to stay off my leg for the next week and it's probably the worst decision that I've made. So last night I actually said no bugger I'm running through the pain and just because <laughs> it's more for my mental health than yeah. anything else. Yep. So the circuit breaker I think is is a really important point. Yeah, I used to have driving as a circuit breaker. You know, okay. this might be something that some listeners can yeah, okay. relate to as well. And particularly when we're not all having as much of a commute, you know, with a lot of people working yeah. from home now. Yeah. I used to live about half an hour away from work and that drive and having half an hour in the car to myself was so valuable mm. as somebody who identifies as an introvert. Yeah. And sometimes I would listen to music. Sometimes I would just turn everything off, no radio or anything, and just have silence. And then I moved two minutes away from my clinic. Like I could walk there in 10 minutes or drive there in a minute and that commute time was taken away Mm. and I found that my stress levels went up and it wasn't about the commute so much, it was about the space that the commute brought. So with your running, it's a little bit like, well, I was doing this because I wanted to run and it's physical activity but then that fringe benefit of this is what it's doing for my mental health You know, then you have to go, oh, man, I need to weigh this up and what can I put in place, yeah. you know, as my mental health break. I need a plan B. <laughs> yeah, what's my plan B? Totally. Yeah, it's just having good strategies in place, isn't it? Shouldn't things fall out? Yeah. Now, I want to go back to your – now, we're going to touch more on this topic, but I, there's a question that I was really interested to sort of kick off with and maybe dive into this for an, an element on your website, there's a video in which you talk about being a fringe dweller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you explain what you mean by being a fringe dweller? Because I think it's something really empowering in what you do. I know what it means, but can you explain to the listeners your take on being a fringe dweller? Yeah, absolutely. So there's what it means to me and probably what it means to other people. And mm-hmm. there's probably some crossover in that, yep. but there might be some distinctions as well. For me, it's been born of living a life where I didn't feel like I fit in mm-hmm. or belonged in many places. Yeah anywhere really and I was born of parents German on one side and Aboriginal on the other and I'm not of Aboriginal appearance I'm very Mm light-skinned but I grew up in Alice Springs around culture and language where that was you know born into me Mm. moving here to Adelaide Unlike being in Alice Springs where everybody knew that I was Smithy's daughter oh yeah we know yeah yeah she's Topsy's great-granddaughter we know who she is Coming here to Adelaide, I've been living here since I was 15, there isn't that recognition within the Aboriginal community that 
that's where I belong. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like I'm in this weird limbo land where I don't quite fit into Aboriginal culture, I don't quite fit into white culture, mm. and it's kind of like this, oh, my gosh, you know, in my formative teenage years, yeah. I don't fit anywhere. Yeah. And I was always one of those kids at school that was a bit different, was really nerdy, really academic, would often prefer the company of books over people. Mm-hmm. And later in life... I started to make decisions for myself that other people disagreed with. For instance, just a small way that I wanted to work. When I graduated as a physiotherapist, I said to my boss who offered me a full-time job, I said, I'm really keen to work here. Would you consider taking me on at 0.5? And he went, oh, yeah, I'm sure we can find somebody else to take that, you know, the rest of that role on. So my whole time as a physio, I only ever worked part-time, mm-hmm. half-time. And One of my friends got angry at me for that and he said, why would you bother going back and retraining as a physio, investing all of this time and money in upskilling yourself just to waste it away on working half time? I went, because I went back for my quality of life. Mm. I want better quality of life. I don't just want to do the nine to five thing that people tell me that I should do, that you're telling me I should do because I want to keep doing other stuff on the side. And all through university, I've been teaching group fitness classes. And I said, I want to keep teaching my classes at the gym. Yeah. A 20-hour role as a physio is going to give me the flexibility to still maintain those classes, those connections. And live a good quality life. Totally. Yeah. And, and putting my well-being and putting my connections with other people and putting the things that give me joy above those things that we're told that we should do mm. has been really uncomfortable at times because people tell me that I'm wrong for doing that. What are you doing? Well, it's not normal. You're crazy. It? You're, not, like you're in, just not normal. Inverted commas, normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, there, I mean, there's so many more examples of like the ways that I'm not normal. <laughs> but, you know, those are some kind of more the, the foundational mm. things for me that have gone, oh, I found it really hard to, to belong. And over time, I had this great discussion with a book group that I'm part of last night, actually. We had this great discussion about belonging. And First and foremost, being able to belong to ourselves before we can find belonging out there. Mm. And what I'm really grateful for in this experience of being, you know, what I call a fringe dweller and having been a black sheep in my family was always very different to other people in my family. I have learnt to belong to myself in a way that I might not have had I not felt pushed out of the norm. conformed to what society... Yeah, it's set up for you. Yeah. yeah. And so what I guess what other people are experiencing, a lot of the people that I work with in the space that I'm moving, there are leaders that I work with who are very people-focused in businesses that are very task-focused, mm. you know, and when I get drawn in to work with a business, it's often those people leaders who are saying we need to invest more in our people, but they've often had to fight against a lot of pushback mm. to say, you know, no, we just need to focus on our procedures and our processes and we need to focus on this stuff over here that's more task oriented so I find a lot of empathy when I'm going into those conversations with those people who are wanting to do things differently in their workplace but have had to really fight for that as well I'm like I feel you (laughs) it's the uh challenge the status quo stuff right that's yep challenge the way things have always been done there's a famous Steve Jobs quote and it's not a podcast without throwing in a quote, right? <laughs> it's a long quote, but I'm going to read it because I want to ask what it means to you. Great. 
So the quote is, and we've all heard it and we've all seen it plastered, but I'm going to read it because it's so powerful. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify them or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. I love it so much. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and I think when I hear you talk about being fringe dweller and, and being on the side and being different, it's almost like that quote, I don't know, it hits me home really hard. Like it, it means a lot to me. Mm. What does that quote mean for you in what you're trying to do in, in the world and the impact that you're trying to, you're trying to have? That's, that quote speaks to me of affirmation. Mm. It really gives me a boost of energy mm. going oh, to hear those words out of somebody's mouth is a bit of a, a virtual, just a pat on the shoulder mm. to go, you're on the right track. Don't yeah. deviate away. Don't go back into, you know, moving with the crowd. Keep doing it your way. Keep doing your thing because what's right for you is right for you. So why does society conform then? Why is there normal? What is normal? And who decides what's normal? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm. You know, I think that the, that need for social belonging is such a driver. Mm. And so we conform because when we think that, oh, this is what I should be doing, I'll find acceptance there, I will find that I'm liked, I will find love and support and connection there, it's the social safety factor that we want to move towards. Mm. You know, as, as social tribal beings, we don't want to be ejected from the tribe because from if we look at evolutionary biology and the way that, you know, we think about our past, if we were ejected from the tribe of people that we were supposed to belong to back in the day, it meant that our chances of survival were lower. Mm. And I think that there is still that deep ingrained need for us to be part of the pack, be part of the herd, don't rock the boat because if you get pushed out and shoved out, your chance of survival is lower. Whereas because our world now is so much more complex than it used to be, every direction you turn, you can change your head five degrees and everywhere that you look, there's a different norm, right? If you walk into a workplace across the road, their culture is going to be a bit different to the one that's right here yeah. and different to the one over there. So everywhere we're moving, there's this kind of like, how do I fit in here? But yeah. how do I fit in here? But how do I fit in here? And it's scary, yeah. like for the brain to go, what do I need to do to belong mm. and to be accepted? I, re oh, I remember, so I remember when JB Hi-Fi first opened, yep. and you walked in there, and everyone was wearing like had the tattoos and they like the big ear, like the big earrings, in <laughs> yeah. and you kind of go, "What's going on here? This is completely different to what we're used to." It was very refreshing, yep. I thought, and now it's almost like, um, and I think you know, I was having coffee in a, I can't remember where exactly it was the other day, but it was all op shop sort of. Uh, Tables and chairs and recycled tables. It's almost cool now where the totally. being different has is turned it on, on its head. Yep. Can I, I want to ask you, the, for those who do fall within what is perceived as normal and conform to society in the way that is expected, not expected, but probably expected, can and then when we do see someone or someone in that world sees something that is a bit different or someone that is a bit different, 
Mm. How do we remove that unconscious bias of almost and, and create that level of acceptance with it, with those people who are different or not even just and no longer view them as different, I think is probably where I'm trying to get to. It's just that just is we are just all human and we're all unique in our own right. Yeah, I think that first of all we have to be aware that there is a bias. Yeah. You know, the whole term unconscious bias, you know, leads us to understand that we're not aware of it mm. when it's happening. And, you know, 90% or more of our processing is happening at a subconscious level. We don't know what's playing out and there's so many cognitive traps that we can get stuck in. But if we can actually start to learn about those cognitive traps, one of the things I love to do in my work is to share some of the language around cognitive bias in mm. workplaces so that then there can actually be conversations across the table of, oh, I think I'm falling into catastrophizing here. Mm. Like I'm really stressed but I think maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion or being able to kindly and courageously call each other out on that. Mm. You know, oh, I hear a bit of always and never in your <laughs> language. Are you slipping into black and white thinking here? Yeah. And being able to have that common language is so important, I think, to starting to bring what's happening at that subconscious level into our conscious awareness because only when we do that can we challenge it and go, oh, what do I let in as what I'm embracing? What do I filter out? But you just have to be aware of it first of all. That's the hard bit though. Oh, so hard. And this is what I think when I walked in today, you said to me, how are you? And I said, I'm a bit existentially tired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've gone through so much change and we're continuing to go through so much change at the moment. And one of the things that I'm finding is quite draining of my energy is how black and white and all or nothing people are in their thinking. Yeah. And the, the lack of curiosity, the lack of open dialogue, and rather people jumping straight into judgment and derisiveness and meanness mm. with one another. I think that if we had that capacity to have more dialogue, challenge ourselves and each other more kindly, be more open-minded, that, well, first of all, I wouldn't be so existentially tired, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that our world would just be a lot more of an enjoyable place to be, but also a lot more productive. You know, I think that this isn't just about us being nicer to ourselves and to each other, but it's actually about how do we progress forward as a, as a race, you know, at, on multiple levels. You know, mm. we can look at that humanistically, we can talk about that organisationally, we can talk about that in terms of the arts, the sciences. If we're going to progress forward as a race, I think that there is an imperative for us to evolve beyond our unconscious patterned levels of thinking and to get more aware around what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we can be different with each other. Yes. Here, here. And in my head, there was some things that I drew out of that where you're saying we need to improve almost that conversation, right, and calling each other out. And, and the skill set is being able to accept that criticism, isn't it, or that constructive criticism. Yeah. Because... Time and time again, we get so wrapped up in our own thoughts and processes and the way we see things that when someone does challenge us, it can be seen as an attack. Is that just a level of self-awareness? You know, you talk about a mastery in emotional, mastering your emotions in, yep. in a lot of your stuff. Is that that element? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 
both internal and external. So there's an internal responsibility that I think that we all have to improve our self-awareness, to improve our skills, to be able to recognise when we're falling into defensiveness mm. rather than getting curious about what somebody else means about the feedback that they're offering us. You know, if somebody is saying something to us that we take as being critical, we can personalise it and feel like we're being attacked. But actually exploring that and unpacking it and being able to have that sense of, oh, let's get curious about what this means for us and the situation moving forward mm. is a really important skill set to learn. And you can only do it in places that you feel safe. So this is where the external part of yeah. it comes in. You know, we can take a lot of emotional and internal responsibility for how we're dealing with things. And at the same time, if we're not in an environment that is safe for us to do that processing, that's not safe for us to be heard, to be seen, to nurture us through that change, then we're going to fall short. We're going to fall flat. You know, I, I've had experiences being in groups where I have done my darndest to self-regulate, to change my thinking, to reframe what was going on for me. Okay, and I kept trying to change myself and then recognise I just keep doing all this stuff to change my perspective because I'm trying to find this place where I belong. Mm. But am I just changing myself to fit in? Like it's actually not an authentic expression of myself because I'm not with the people that I'm safe with. Mm. They're not curious about my experience. They're not even curious about their own experience. The people around me are staying in judgment. So I can get as curious as I want, but if everybody else is staying in defensiveness and they've got a wall up, I can't change that dynamic. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I, I, um, I want to touch on my what someone asked me then what's your spirit animal right and i say chameleon is my and i believe that adaptability is probably one of my greatest strengths so yep. when i talk about fitting in and you're talking about fitting in and finding your your group and the, and, and the crowd that you want to hang around the, one, the ones that you feel comfortable with mm. can can it be more than one definitely yeah yep definitely and i think that there's different layers to that different yeah. levels to that yeah and can you elaborate on those levels and, and layers I can because I actually did an exercise for myself earlier this year where I thought about my concentric social circles yeah. and I thought who's in my closest, closest inner circle? Who do I trust the most? Who would I reach out to for help when I'm really struggling and who would trust me to reach out to help for when they're really struggling? Mm -hmm. And narrowed it down to these people in my life that I went, this, this, is, this is my inner circle, this is my inner sanctum. Mm -hmm. Who's the concentric circle outside of that? You know, the people who I love to be around, who are fun, who are nourishing, I love their company, but I not, might not feel quite as safe reaching out in those times of struggle. Yeah. And then zooming out from there, who are the people in that third circle who I like interacting with, but they're not going to be my go-to on a Saturday to catch mm. up for coffee, yeah. right? And then you, know, you can go as broad with that as you want to. And that was a really great exercise for me in thinking, yes, there are multiple groups that I belong with and I can cluster those people in those circles as well and go like here are the work people, yeah. here are the personal connections, here's the family connections. And in that it gave me insight into for, for myself, yes, I can belong to these different groups and there'll be a level of filtering that I do of myself in each of those spaces. 
those people in my tightest inner sanctum will get the rawest, most unfiltered version of me, yeah. right? The people who are a little bit further out, they'll still get an authentic version of me but not as raw. And I talk a lot about authentic leadership because it's a term that gets thrown around quite a lot. You know, what does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to be an authentic leader? And some people misinterpret authentic as being completely open, completely raw, completely vulnerable, you know, bearing all of your deep, dark secrets. But that's not what it's about. It's about appropriate levels of filtering. And so I think you can still belong but still be filtered mm. as well, but it's all about scales and the continuum of filtering and the scale and the continuum of belonging as yeah. well. It's, it's not all or nothing. No, no. I think, I think the filtering is a very important element that doesn't get um, discussed too much. Mm. There is people who I've seen where they would come into a work environment and talk to them everyone as if they're talking to their best mates group. Yeah. And you you sit there and and, and some would argue, oh, then he's, he or she aren't being true to themselves. Mm. Well, they're not being true to themselves. But I don't know, there's an element of me that's like, you know, think before you speak, right? There's some things that you say in front of your mates at the footy compared to something that you say in front of your team at work. They're two completely different things and yep. you, you have to be able to, disassociate the two yeah can I share two images that come to mind absolutely when you talk about that mm. I want to circle back to your image of the chameleon mm. as a chameleon if you get to choose which colors you want to show and you go right this is my color palette mm. I've got green purple blue and red mm. these are the ones that I love and I'm going to turn them on or I'm going to turn them off at different times and you can be red or you can be blue but that's still authentic to you because yeah. that's what you've chosen. That's what feels right yeah, to you. Yeah. But if you then come up with somebody who says, hey, you should be orange, you go, oh, okay, I'll turn on orange now. That's, that's the dirty yeah. fitting in yeah. stuff, right? That's changing yourself to appease somebody else. And that's not authenticity. Ah, so authenticity doesn't need to be one or the other. It can be both or if not more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a lot more nuanced than I think people think it is. Because the other image that comes to mind, which – and I wish I could remember who shared this with me. This is, it didn't come from my brain, but somebody talked about people as being gemstones yep. and said, what if we were a gemstone which has many faces? Yeah. And whichever way you turn the gemstone, it's still the gemstone, but you can see many faces of that gemstone. Mm. It doesn't detract from what the gemstone is. The light still shines through it. It's not fake to look at one side of the gemstone than the other, but we all do have multiple faces. We have multiple facets to us because mm. human beings are complex. You know, we're not simple creatures. Yeah. And so I think being able to honour that complexity in ourselves means that we can show up authentically in many different ways. Yes. Well, that's that's a really good visual, the gemstone. I like that. Mm, works for me. Got, I've always gone with the chameleon and colours. That's the thing I've run. Well, I like that gemstone one. I might steal that. Go for uh, it. Uh, while we're on this, um, we're talking about workplace versus outside. And I know you've done a lot of work with psychological safety within a workspace. Can, yep. can you describe that and, and what that actually is in its absolute most basic format? Yeah. Psychological safety is creating an environment where people feel safe to, to speak and to show up 
as their authentic self without the fear of being humiliated, shut down and repressed. In a nutshell, that's what it is for me. It's Synergy IQ is, is the business that I run and operate uh, where our vision is to create a world where people feel safe, inspired and fulfilled, right? And that, it's an out there vision but something that, and so we then elevate our consulting firm to do and help in part of that. So, in essence, what we're doing is helping businesses create psychological safety within their in their world. Absolutely. I'm going to say it right because it's something that we all know that happens, and I'm, this is I am going to attribute this to the psychological safety thing. So bear with me. But we all know that they're right out there in the world now. There is a lot of people who are getting promoted. And they're getting promoted because they are technically great <laughs> yeah. at what they're doing. Yep. And they're, the, you know, they might be the smartest engineer, the smartest academic, whatever it might be. Yep. They're brilliant. But they're brilliant at what they, at the outcomes that they're trying to deliver from a process point of view, whatever it might be. They have no idea at how to manage human beings. Yep. And they're all doing the best that they can. And they are. And so... We are, as organisations, effectively setting up these people to fail as people leaders. I see it all the time. Agreed. So do we. What is the role in the organisation, first and foremost, to create this place of psychological safety for all? And then how do they then work with the leaders who might have that big gap? And, yeah, because in, in my head it's like, well, you almost could have two, right? You have mm. someone that is looking after the people and someone who is looking after the outcomes and then the two can work together. Yep. Can you share your thoughts on what is the role of the organisation in that space? Yeah. I'm going to talk to both the role of the organisation and how I see people doing it as well. Mm. I think the role of the organisation is very important and if we look historically, we used to gather as human beings and talk about personal growth in communities when we gathered around campfires, when we shared stories that had morals and ethics attached to them, when we gathered in churches and listened to sermons around the right way to live. And these were places where historically and traditionally we came together to have thought-provoking conversations and we created space to challenge each other about our thinking. The only common institution in the Western world that we have now that the majority of people engage in is the workplace. Mm. So I think that the role of organisations is so vital in being able to create spaces for discussions to happen that do challenge us to think differently, Mm. that do encourage personal growth. And when it's treated as a nice-to-have, rather than an essential part of business, that's where you see businesses failing Mm. because they're not investing in the people side of their business. They assume that the person is a machine that will just keep rolling along and ticking on the output and if they just try to dial up the electricity a bit more into that machine and put more pressure on that person that the output will be greater, Mm. completely forgetting that what we're dealing with are these beautiful, glorious, sensitive, complex humans. But how I see it, shifting you know with these organizations that have recognized oh like 
the Industrial Revolution has been and gone. Mm. We need to change our model now. We need to get up to speed with looking at who are the humans here, what's important to them, what motivates them, what keeps them ticking over. Those businesses are doing it in a number of ways. So how we can start to engage people and businesses into a new model of working, I see it happening through psychological skills training, which I'm fortunate to be a part of frequently in Mm -hmm. my work. I see it happening at the level of leadership coaching where you do more of a deep dive with those leaders to empower and enable them Mm -hmm. to think differently for themselves but also communicate differently with their teams. And I see it happening also on a more kind of broad level where I've seen a work team that just said to their crew, take four hours a week for your well-being. Take some time out. Yep. And has been I've been really interested in reading some of the research that's happening on the is four that day. Brendan, Brendan's team? That is Brendan's yes, team. Yes, yep. Yes. Yeah. I've been very fortunate to work closely with Brendan and his yeah. team. And yes, he speaks very, very highly of you. Brent, <laughs> Brendan Renaudi, for those who are listening, is who we're talking about. He's uh, we've had a podcast with him before yep. previously. Yeah, I saw he wasn't here too long ago, was yeah. he? Yeah, champion from ANZ. And the work that he's done with his team in both bringing in explicit psychological skills training, Mm. but also implicitly trusting them to look after their well-being as well. Mm. The business case for the shift that it made for his unit, his business unit was amazing, and it correlates really highly with what we're seeing in other places around the world with the four-day work week, with exhaustion becoming so commonplace. And when we actually think about scaling back the mental activity and the mental load that we're putting on people and looking at some of the research that's coming forth around how we can function at our best, some of it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Some of it goes against the models that we're currently working to. But if we have curiosity to explore what the research is showing, what these case studies are telling us, it's just going to open us up to these amazing possibilities mm. for working more efficiently, getting better output, but also enjoying it more. Employees who are going to feel more fulfilled at work, safe. Yeah. <laughs> What of the businesses that – so like a a company like ANZ, large corporate, you know, and there's there's, the business is not going to fall over if people are having four four hours off a week, right? It's set in stone (laughs) almost. Smaller business is a bit different where there's the constant hustle and having – there's not enough hours in the day as there is and then all of a sudden the request of taking four hours off for a four-day work week, it's almost impossible in the eyes of some business owners in that space. It's impossible depending on the goals that they're setting and the expectations that they're holding, yes. Well, yes. And so outside of taking some time off or setting up a well-being room or whatever it might be, what is an option that some of these smaller businesses can take to help their teams. Yep. Again, it can be about empowering and enabling the individual, giving the individual skills to think about things differently or do things differently in the flow of their workday rather than stepping away from work, incorporating it into their work. And it can also be, I know a lot of the work that you do is at that cultural level as well. You know, how do you then provide the environment that supports people to put that into practice? 
As a simple example, this morning I had a coaching session right before I came here, actually, and we were talking about the topic of stillness. You, you mentioned oh, it before. I'm going to talk to you about that. <laughs> this might be a nice segue <laughs> into that topic. And the misconception that people have around when I talk about stillness, because when I speak about this topic, it covers rest, it covers meditation and mindfulness, and it covers breaks and sleep included, um, which can be, for instance, the way that I would do things a little bit differently in my office and I have done for, I don't know, the last 12 years is having naps at work during the day, you know, and being, you know, very upfront about, you know, I'll be sleeping on the floor in the staff room for 20 minutes if, you know, if anybody comes in and finds me, I haven't passed out. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, and that's, that's a pretty common practice for me. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> some people can, some yeah, people can't. Yeah, I'm so jealous. Um, that would be a, a kind of like a medium dose of stillness, mm. right? For some people, they can't sleep during the day or they might not have time to do that and take mm. time out. So this coaching session that I had this morning really focused on where are the opportunities for microdosing stillness. Mm. And we talked about stillness of body, stillness of mind, and stillness in our social interactions mm. as well. And so stillness might mean that between you walking from here back into your office later on, that you allow yourself that 20-second transition to just clear your mind and focus on your breathing rather than thinking about what's the task that I need to do next. Mm. It can be in between meetings rather than ruminating on what was just talked about and what's going to happen next, just going, let's just look up, let's lift my eyes, be really present where I am. And that micro dose of stillness, the evidence shows that that can make just as much of a difference if you do it frequently enough in your day as setting aside half an hour to meditate. Yeah, wow. That might answer some of the questions that I'm about to ask. So I'm going to start with this on the stillness piece. While we're here, we might as well dive, right? Let's. So I'm going to tell a story of probably my inner workings and everyone knows that I kind of work this way, although I don't admit it too much. So getting vulnerable here. So I went home the other day with a migraine. I rocked up, dropped the kids off at school. They go to school in the city. I was on the way into work. And my head was thumping and I just went, no, I cannot go in. I'm going to, and I, I suffer from migraines every now and again. So I know the feeling and I knew that I was just going to be useless. So I got back in the car and drove home. Uh, and I thought to myself, what did you do when you have a migraine? You create a dark room, you try to get some sleep. And I'm laying there looking at the ceiling going, thinking about every single thing that I needed to do and how much this day, if I have this day off, what that is going to mean and how much I'm going to have to do outside of that, right? So common thought process. I remember getting up, going into the bathroom, looking in the mirror and saying, and like looking at myself and I could see like the colour drain from my face and I I remember the anxiety building up And and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm saying, Dan, you just need to stop. Like you need to stop. But then I kept going, mm. right? I picked up my phone. I started replying to some emails. And then like I'm yelling at myself in my head going, Dan, like you need to relax. It's all okay. And then I kept going. And I went back on my computer and started writing more emails, head still thumping. Yep. And so I think what 
I know that I'm self-aware, right? I know that I am uh, at a point where I can control my emotions. I'm at a point where I can control my actions. And, and I, But there is an element of being so ingrained and so habitual in my work that moving away or stepping to the side actually affects me deeply. Like I just want to keep things moving. I've always been that way. But stopping is so against where I've or how I've become relatively successful or become who I am, right? Yep. So I think that's the element. And I, and I practice meditation. I, you know, I've got the Headspace app to, um, uh, and the Sam Harris apps and I use all those sort of things. And I, and I do it at nighttime and whatnot or in the morning. But having those micro moments, I'm so further to that and the meditation part, and the well-being part, I'm one of those people who has to do that in private. I don't want anyone knowing mm. that I'm doing that. I don't want people seeing me. Why in is that? that? Space. Like to be to to be frank, I cannot meditate if my wife is around. Yep. I cannot meditate if my kids are around. I just won't do it. I don't know why that is. And I, it's I, I think that's why I'm asking you. This was almost turning into a bloody psych session, but the stillness <laughs> element is one is probably out of your nine and we'll go through the nine but is probably one of my biggest weaknesses is i don't know how to stop yep um what is your suggestion to those because you would have seen this many times i'm not i know i'm not an outlier and this is something that (laughs) is quite common yep definitely so the first question is what is something that i can do as a low-hanging fruit and the Mm -hmm. second question is what happens if i don't the first question, what can you do? I'm going to repeat something that I suggested for my coaching client this morning, mm-hmm. actually. Try to microdose stillness when you're transitioning. Okay. So if it's transitioning from one task to another, mm-hmm. if it's transitioning between meetings, if it's transitioning from home into work, mm-hmm. or if it's transitioning from work back to home, you know, you've got that hour of running that you're hoping to yeah. get back to. Yeah. If you can't do that, what is the microdose of stillness you can give yourself as a, as a transition? Because it's a bit like having to change gears mm. when we're switching tasks, switching focus yep. during the day. And the micro pause that you give yourself can be like putting the clutch in before you're changing the gear, right? If you don't put the clutch in, you're just going to grind that gearbox. Yeah. So what happens if you don't start to put that in is that your, your gearbox grinds down, yeah. <laughs> you know, mechanically, mentally and physically yeah. we start to break down. You're riding the clutch. Is that the... <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you go, oh, it starts to smell a bit smoky yeah. in here yeah. and then you hit professional burnout like mm. I did, you know. So then you end up on the staff room floor in tears, rocking yourself in the fetal position going, <laughs> I just can't see another client today. Yeah. So that's, that's the outcome of not having the, the stop. So the analogy that I was talking about this morning was if we want to be high-performing, we have to think of ourselves a little bit like, and I don't always love trying to make metaphors of humans as machines. I try to get away from this. But what a lot of people understand is if we think about a high-performance sports car, you can't safely refuel a sports car while it's in motion. Mm. You need to stop and get into the pits in order to do the refueling. Mm. We can't keep going without sleep indefinitely. 
And our brain can't keep going without pausing. You actually need to have that time out for your body to repair and you need to have mental time out for your mind to repair to boost your energy levels to keep going again. So I would say to start with challenging yourself to be still for whatever feels just mildly uncomfortable. Is that 15 seconds? Is that 30 seconds? I challenged my client this morning. I said, right, as part of our session, we're just going to sit in silence with each other for 30 seconds. And all I want you to do is to notice how it feels. So we did that. He was like, you know what? That was okay. I was like, great. All right. About half an hour into the session, I said, I'm going to try you with 60 seconds, shall we? So then I set a timer for 60 seconds and we just sat in stillness for 60 seconds together. And I went, how was that? He went, it was better. Okay. So that's what I suggest maybe you can try as well. Start with the lowest dose that you feel you can tolerate and then when you get comfortable with that, try turning it up a little bit. Try doing it more frequently. Mm. Try then going, oh, actually it feels okay. The reason is because in our brain we have super highways of patterns that are ingrained into our synapses. Yeah. If we talk about neuroplasticity, when we've got a habit – and and a lot of us have a habit of being busy. It's a really tricky, messy one because being busy is usually enforced by people around us. How are you? You busy? Keeping busy? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm busy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you want to be busy. You know, so there's this conditioning and reinforcement Mm -hmm. around us. So you have to actually be a little bit like swimming against the current to stop. Yeah. And it can be so entrenched in our identity. You know, you've talked about this, you know, seeing yourself as this busy, productive person. Mm. It can be so linked to our self-worth. We can get so caught up in thinking that being more productive makes us more valuable. When I read Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, and she talks about productivity as self-worth and exhaustion as a status symbol, it hit me to the core. Mm. It just split something open in me where I went, oh, my God, you've seen into my soul. And I went, that's me. That's why I hit burnout three times because I was like, okay, yep, I'm recovered now. Let's get back on the treadmill and keep going. But actually what I needed to do was to start to build a new pathway in my brain. If your superhighway has been crafted in the busyness direction, you have got all of these pathways in your brain that reinforce that. And it's, it's like... The concrete is laid down, the superhighway is there. Now you've got another pathway that you're trying to create, and this is for any habit that you might try to integrate. Now you're trying to integrate a habit of stillness and you go, oh, God, I've got to cut my own path here. It's like kind of, you know, getting out the knife and trying to hack through the bamboo. It's harder work. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's so much easier just to get on the highway. Mm. So over time... You just need to keep practicing it more and more and more and more Mm. until you build a new pathway that's solid. Then you can pave it. Then you can concrete it. And over time, it actually takes about 18 months for proper neuroplastic change to occur. You've built a new highway and then you can stop using the other one. And over time, the highway that you're not using will start to crumble. It will start to fall apart. It will start to degrade. But until that happens... You're going to have these competing things and you've got to make a choice between which pathway do I take? Do I take? Mm. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Thank you for sharing. I, do you, Is there a particular type of person that you see this more often than not with though? Is it someone who's had... High achievers. Yeah. So I, 
and I'm going to really generalize here. I see this a lot in sports people. Like I, I've played elite junior sport, never seen it, but I played elite junior sport and um, it's, I've always had that sort of, it, it's self, I'm self-motivated, right? Yeah. I don't, like it's this, this idea of, you know what I, I'm thinking of as you were speaking there, I'm thinking of a glass, if you think about a big glass or a bucket, right, a bucket filled with big rocks mm. and then you add the small rocks and then you add the little tiny gravel and then you add the sand and then you add the water. Like you can always just keep adding more and more in there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really how I've always taken life is, yeah, throw it at me, I'm pretty sure I'll take it on. But then you get you get to the point where it's like, actually, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it always comes down to the fact it always comes around and circles back to the point of I keep saying yes I keep saying yes I'll do that or I'll take that on or I'll try that or yeah no leave it with me or you know and I think that's the element is when you talk about language as well being part of it changing your language and setting boundaries I think that the whole piece comes into it as well yeah, I don't know. It's an ever-evolving thing. <laughs> I like that analogy of the bucket because it inspires us to think about how full, how heavy and how dense do I want my bucket to be? Mm. Do I want it to be full of stones and gravel and sand and water? Or do I just want to place a few rocks in here and have a bit of spaciousness? Yeah. You know, what do I want? Well, that's the seven habits thing, right? The big rocks. Mm. You know, it's where let's concentrate on the big rocks, yep. the stuff that is the most meaningful. Yep. All the other little bits and pieces. It's not that, you know, so. And are you saying yes to those little bits and pieces? I think so. I think, but as a business owner and you know, everyone says to me, Dan, how do you, I do a podcast a week, right? And they're like, how do you throw on a podcast as well as run a business and do all the above? And it's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, I just manage to do it. And, and, and if I, I think, but what happens is if I stop, then, you know, it kind of just falls away. Not, but it won't. I know it won't, but in my head it will. Yep. You know, um. I yep. don't think anyone's actually sitting around relying on me. It's just I have these such high expectations of myself to deliver. Um, whereas I can almost guarantee you, Gabs and Paula and the and Michelle and the team are all looking at me going, Yeah, no, Dan, you need like slow down. Like, you can slow down. And I and I know for a fact that I'm not the only one going through that same thought process. There is yep. it is happening to many, many people out there. And there's some real value in getting conscious and intentional about exploring. What are your expectations for yourself? compared to other people's expectations of you Mm. what mismatch is there between them and why is that mismatch there Mm. and this is where I sometimes when I'm talking about the topic around authenticity we talk a lot about people pleasing and proving and performing you know so what's the armor that you're putting up to go this is who I am and this is what I've got to be and and how much of that armor have you built for yourself because of your own expectation Mm. Whereas everybody else is probably like, can you just take that down, please? Yeah. Can you just be you? Because that's a lot more fun. Yeah. And that's something I had to really wrestle with. Mm. You know, what was I building up as my own expectations and how could I start to let that drop? Beautiful. All right, enough about me. I want to <laughs> ask, you're obviously you do a lot of work with leaders and businesses what are some of those trends that you've seen in the past mm. 12 months? You yep. know, you, you would have seen a lot of people like me who go, 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 but you would have also seen some, some many other types of personalities and, and um, 
different ways that people might have handled their health and well-being in yeah. the past 12 months. Yeah, sure. The biggest trend that I've seen is that the conversation about psychological well-being has been much more open and out on the table than it was prior to 2020, which I think has been fantastic and healthy. Within that change, there's been a lot of different ways that people have navigated mm. the changes, the transitions, the opportunities, the difficulties, and that has been really context-dependent. So I've seen trends for a lot, a lot of loneliness and a lot of suffering for people who particularly have had to work from home alone and the, the context in which a lot of my work that I was doing during the 2020 period and into um, last year as well was providing video conferencing calls for kind of what can we do to top up our well-being here and just seeing how different contexts were impacting people differently. There were people who were at home trying to work from their kitchen table with their family around them and trying to manage chaos, feeling completely suffocated other people who were living on their own had not seen another human being for weeks apart from the Uber guy who was dropping food off at their door, feeling completely disconnected. The interesting thing was that in those contexts, the trend was that whether people were surrounded by others and suffocated by others or whether they were alone, there was still a huge amount of disconnection mm. and a huge amount of loneliness. And... I think as somebody who really struggled to fit in and to find a sense of belonging for a lot of my life, that loneliness was something that I went, ooh, this, this, this is the pandemic. This is an endemic of loneliness, what we're seeing at the moment. And because of the stress, even if we were surrounded by people in our home or we were still able to go for, to our workplace, we were so lucky here in South Australia, right? You yeah. know, we've been able to still be around people quite a lot. But the stress has been so disconnecting for people mm. and they're not actually able to access some of the parts of their brain. You know, the prefrontal cortex is kind of like got all, you know, cut off because yeah. all the stress going on for people in the last 12 months has meant that they're not able to communicate effectively. They're not self-regulating like they used to. They're kind of walking through and not really making eye contact with people or stopping to engage in meaningful conversation or they don't have that opportunity to do so. So I think regardless of whether we've been in contact with people or not, loneliness has been a huge trend. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I actually felt that myself of being someone who gets energy from other people. Mm. Um, being at home does, uh, does play its toll. You know, we talked about the, the Industrial Revolution before and how we need to change, but the the hybrid workplace is that the answer moving forward i mean because this whole working from home mm. has so many benefits yeah um but then we also want that connection right yep. but then you know what day do we have that connection yeah and what does that look like and so we have to start getting a little bit more strategic around planning when we're all in the office and yep all the above is that is that the answer the hybrid version or do you feel that we should go back to the five-day a week in the office and where people can continually get and get that constant routine in place or is it about creation of new now? I think it's about the creation and the emergence of an organic new now. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a really great opportunity for us to think innovatively now mm -hmm. and to use this as an opportunity to recreate what we want our world to look like. I don't think that the five-day working week from the office is the most useful 
not the most enjoyable, not even the most productive way for people to work. I know for me I was completely taken aback by having to work from home and then finding I was more productive. Mm. I did not anticipate that at all. I was the person who went, I'm going to the office, I'm going to have this nice delineation now between work and home and I would diligently take myself off even when I started working for myself. And when I had to work from home, like this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to be distracted by my partner and my dogs and my stepdaughter all the time and I actually got much more done. So I wouldn't have found that out had I not been forced to Mm. but it was a great exploration and an invitation to think differently about how I work. I'm a big fan of the hybrid model. Mm. I think that moving forward that I think that there is a lot of potential in using that to better effect and like you said, also looking at when are those times where we can all cross over as well, mm. you know, making sure that we're not siloing our teams and yep. that we are cross-pollinating teams. Um, I know that a team that I work collaboratively with have said, let's all make an effort to be in the office on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, at other times, you know, feel free to come and go, but we're going to have our staff meetings on Mondays and Wednesdays as a touch point. If the majority of us can be there the majority of the time, that would be great. Mm. And I, I do like hearing a lot of organisations where they've got a few different options. They might have customer-facing roles where people have to be going to their work site every day. They might have office roles where they're going, yeah, let's do a three and two split. And then they've got others who go, actually, because of your extenuating circumstances or because of your role, it's probably better for you to work at home full time. Yeah. And I think being able to explore all those options yeah. is a really healthy thing. Yes. Mm. I don't like being in meetings with people if three people are on um, the call and five people are in the meeting. Like I just feel like that doesn't work though. So we need to get really strategic around because it it gives more power to the people in the room to have a voice, especially when they're – so I I know Oz Minerals, for example, they won't have – if you're all not in the room, then it's all online. Yep. So they just refuse to have that mixed um, meeting scenario. So I really like that model, but it's difficult to have, especially when you're time poor and you've got everyone's time booked in and all of a sudden someone, oh, no, I decided to work from home today. So this is all those little nuances I think that we keep keep on facing. But yeah. but these are all part of your nine steps, which I want to talk into and how do we become mentally fit and manage these situations, right? So um, – you, you have the nine barriers uh, to, to mental fitness and we're not going to dive into them today because I want to talk more positively and what are the nine enablers to being mentally fit and handling all these situations. And, sure. and so you break them down really, really well in the sense of if you can think of a, what would you call it, a pie chart? Yeah. Yeah, pie chart. So flexibility yeah. and under that sort of heading you've got trust a compassion and creativity and then under the heading of strength you've got authenticity awareness and character and under the embrace you've got values stillness which is what we've been talking about and emotional mastery yeah that's about mental endurance and energy how do we top up absolutely yep. oh is that what did i say embrace, embrace. Oh, yeah, endurance. yeah endurance. Sorry, I, I read that wrong um can can you talk to us about that model because I, I feel like mm. you're right you've if you go through every single one of those and 
and you go, oh, I'm a bit of that or I'm lacking a bit there and then all of a sudden you can see the gap. So I think it's a really great model. Yeah, sure. I'll talk about mental strength first, you know, ways that we can build our mental fortitude. One of them is to look at character. You know, many people who are listening might have heard about character strengths Mm. and many may not have. I'm always surprised by how um, rarely it's it's used out there but rather than talking about deficits in yourself or deficits in your team and focusing on weaknesses if we can look at strengths of character and what are those great things that you have that are intrinsic to you as a person and how can we highlight those how can we get you to use more of those in work it's an amazing enabler of mm. performance and enjoyment mm. at work it can make a real uh-huh. difference to performance conversations as well when you Absolutely. start to talk about strengths. Agreed. Yeah. The next one is around building that awareness. So that can be, we can talk about awareness in lots of ways, spatial awareness, social awareness, emotional awareness. A lot of the work that I do dives into self-awareness and being aware of your thoughts and how they're leading to a response and being able to be metacognitive in your thinking, which is this developing the skill of thinking about thinking. Yeah. Because when you're more clear about your thought processes, you're more able to then communicate it to others Mm. rather than just going, oh, I'm just really frustrated and mad right now and not being able to articulate what that's about. So that's a skill set you can develop. And then authenticity, like I alluded to before, is about how do we shift from the people-pleasing and the performing and trying to prove ourselves and, and show up in our own true essence. So they all link into each other. You know, you can start practising your character strengths to build your authenticity and through doing so find that you've got a clearer thought pattern. And so the the layer of the model, if you see in the visual of the pie chart, it's not just that these are kind of three chunks but you kind of go from the internal layer of character is all about how we see ourselves and our identity. That second layer is about how we're processing information and the third layer is how we express it to other people in the world. So it's got that level of kind of going from internal to external and outward as well. If we dive into flexibility, this is the counterbalance because just like with our physical fitness, you can work on strength all you want, but if you end up being so strong that you're just rigid. Well, things break. Things break. Yeah. If we don't have the flexibility and the adaptability, there's something really lacking in our fitness. So creativity, which is also linked to building innovative problem solving, thinking about novelty and your opportunities for thinking outside the box, there's lots of practices that we can get into to help people with that rather than I love that stuff because it's about challenging the status quo, right? absolutely. (laughs) Compassion, which is about being kinder to ourselves if we're talking about self-compassion but also being kinder to others. And sometimes in a work scenario that can just mean instead of flying off the handle or getting really judgy about somebody and what they've done, just going, oh, I wonder if something's going on for them that I don't know about yet. So it can help us to build that skill around getting more curious, which I talked about a bit earlier. And then trust. Um, I know you are fans of Brene Brown's work here at Synergy RQ and I use her model around braving when Mm. I talk about trust. So it's about boundary setting, it's about being reliable, it's about developing accountability, it's about keeping things in the vault, not sharing confidential information that you shouldn't, acting from integrity, being non-judgmental and being as generous in our assumptions about other people and ourselves as we can be. So leading people through that process about building trust is multifactorial as all of this is. Um, And that last big component around mental fitness is around endurance. How do we top up our energy to keep going when things are tough? 
right? It's great to be a strength athlete and be able to lift a max rep of, you know, however many kilos, but sometimes we need to be able to keep lifting a mental load repeatedly. Mm. Things keep changing. If the crap keeps hitting the fan, we need to keep going. There are different strategies that we need which aren't just strength and flexibility. So they are about tapping into our values, Mm. getting really clear on what's important for us and being able to prioritise those things effectively and appropriately being able to embrace stillness so that we keep topping up our fuel to keep going and not getting sucked into that busyness as productivity, as self-worth trap. And then the emotional mastery piece, which can link back into a lot of these strategies, but emotional mastery is recognising particularly when is fear stopping you from doing something and how can you lean into that fear in order to challenge yourself, to grow and to expand yourself and your opportunities. So... That's a quick tour of the framework. Yeah, it is amazing. Is it? How do you work on? <laughs> do you do you, do you say right today? I'm my using it in a sport sense or going to the gym. Um, today I'm going to work on my strength, or today I'm working on flexibility or endurance. Do you compartmentalize it that way, or is it? I don't know. Yeah, how would you? Personally, for myself, I use it as a quick diagnostic. So I look and I go, if I'm feeling out of sorts, if I don't feel like my mental fitness is where I'd like it to be, I can go back to this and look at it and go, oh, yep, got it. I'm not doing enough of that. Okay. I had a dinner party, for instance, a few weeks ago where I woke up the next morning feeling really like, oh, just drained and antsy and like really annoyed the day after. And I went, what's this about? I looked at the model and I went, ah, I wasn't practising authenticity last night because my dinner guests stayed over their welcome and I didn't kick them out. Mm. (laughs) And if I was being authentic to myself, I would have just said, hey, guys, I'm really tired. It's been great seeing you and, you know, I'm sorry to kick you out, but that's what I'm doing. But I didn't lean into authenticity. So I know that I would have felt better about the day myself had I lent into that. So I can use it as a quick diagnostic. I like that. I went down the track of, um, and I've said this before in the podcast, I really look at myself. I don't know if you've played a PlayStation game where you can create an avatar, right? And you can create literally exactly what you've got there. So strength, authenticity, awareness, character, all the above. And I've kind of got like what a... What's your level? Yeah, what level I'm at, like out of 100. <laughs> yep. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm, I look at it and I go, oh, I need to work on, on the values piece a little bit more or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Um, when I work with teams, I get them to do this as a bit of an audit. Yeah. So I can have that as a conversation with their leader first and go, right, as a diagnostic, I do this for myself personally. Let's do this for your team. You know, what do you think your your level is, you know, on here? And where are the gaps between where you are and where you want to be? Mm. And we can also do that at a team discussion level as well and get some really amazing, robust discussion about going, oh, I think we need to improve there and somebody else going, I think we're actually doing that really well. Yeah. It's really great as a conversation how would you? How would you assess yourself on the character one? Like is that a, oh, yeah, no, all these people like me or these people don't like me? <laughs> or, I mean, what's a, is it, because you said it's an internal dialogue. I mean, what? How, yeah, how do you how do you improve character if you're not if I mean you are who you are, right? Great question. Yeah. Absolutely. It's looking for more opportunities to use those things that you're good at and asking yourself, am I actually using my authentic strengths? Mm. Or am I just leaning into learned behaviors that other people have told me I should be? Okay. 
So I've got a diagnostic which is free um, that I use. There are three different strength surveys that are out there in the marketplace. Two of them are paid and one of them is a free survey, which I use pretty regularly because I like that it's cross-culturally validated for people of any background as well. And I send clients to do that free survey and it comes back with a rank-ordered listing of their top 24 strengths depending on how they've answered the questions. And sometimes that can be really surprising. I was working with a finance team the other day and one of the leaders in that team got his survey back and in his top five were love and appreciation of beauty and excellence. And he was like, does this mean I'm soft? (laughs) (laughs) And he was going, and leadership's not up there. I went, great, let's unpack this. But once you're aware of love in the workplace is not something that needs to be creepy, Mm. (laughs) love is about caring for people and being able to express care and receive care back as well. So it's just that compassionate side of human connection in the workplace. If anything, it's probably the most powerful of all. (gasps) I I, I think so, but I'm biased. (laughs) Monsters, Inc. made a movie on it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, The fear element versus the love element i'm not going to go into the, the narr- narrative of the story but like i use monsters inc in everything right yep and, and love in, it and inside out i love all these movies <laughs> me too yeah um, but yeah just the sheer fact that you get more energy from love than what you do from fear is oh yeah is uh is yeah apparent, like very apparent absolutely and when you can use it as a strength and recognize that it's your strength you know for him the awareness around that unlocked something for him Mm. and I went you know you feel as though you should have leadership in your top strengths because you're in a leadership role but what makes you a great leader is that you care about your team Mm. it's love as a strength that is your leadership fuel so how can you use that more and we talked about all the ways that we could start to integrate that into his conversations with his teams. Even if it's just when they sit down to have a one-on-one, he goes, hey, you've been fishing lately because he knows that his teammate likes fishing and it just shows that element of I know you, I care about you, I'm going to ask about something that's important to you. Yeah, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, How how do we catch ourselves in the moment when our head feels like we're in a pinball machine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Like, because you're dealing with all these emotions at once. And, and, and oh, like, yeah. when you're talking about your barriers and mental fitness, and there are often times where you're just so overwhelmed, you get the brain fog and all that. So, how do we catch ourselves in that moment yep. and then start looking at this diagram? And we, yep. we will we'll share. Are you open for us to share the diagram on the podcast? Um, Love on you the, too. On the, on the podcast. Yep, we'll absolutely. share the link to your website, actually. Which will have that. No problem. Um, yeah, catching yourself in that moment is something that I'm really interested in yep. hearing your thoughts on. There's two techniques that I use one which sits in the awareness part of yeah. this framework, and one which is an enabler for compassion. So the first one is from cognitive behavioral techniques. So it's a technique that I just quickly refer to as STR. Mm-hmm. So it stands for stimulus when a stimulus or a situation happens. What's the thought that arises in that? That's the T. And then what's the response that comes off of that? So being able to put the brakes on and go, okay, wait, which stands for what am I thinking? (laughs) What am I thinking? What's my thought about this situation that's leading to my response? Why am I feeling overwhelmed? What's the thought that's leading to it? Often there's a thought underneath it, which is I'm not capable of dealing with this right now. Nobody is helping me. And when you are aware of those thoughts, then you can go, oh, 
actually, am I making assumptions here that aren't correct? So using that STR model is something that I do quite a lot of deep work in yeah. with people to go, what are the thoughts that are there? And what are some of the alternative thoughts that you can recraft that will lead to a more productive response? When it comes to the compassion side of things, there's another beautiful three-step process that I use. And this comes from the work of Kristen Neff. And she talks about self-compassion. And so it's based on her work. And the first step is to notice how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. If you can notice and name what you're feeling, oh, my God, what's going on here? You go, okay, it's, it's overwhelm. Okay, what's, what's part of Oh, no, there's more to it. Oh, I feel guilt as well. I feel really guilty that I haven't got all of that stuff done. I haven't gotten back to that person yet and that I still have this stuff to do tomorrow. Okay, as soon as you label what you're feeling, your brain stops searching for it. So the pinball stops going, is it this, is it this, is it this, is it this? Yeah. And it goes, oh, it's this. Okay. Once you've noticed and named what that is for you, then you can go, okay, well, what do I need to do with it? You've got, you're more empowered. So mm -hmm. the noticing and naming, first of all, then normalise it for yourself. Kristen Neff refers to this as common humanity. Remember that you're human. Mm. You're not machine. Mm. You're not perfect. And just go, you know what, I'm just having a human experience. A lot of people go through this as well and it's okay. And then nurture. How do you nurture yourself in that? Do I need to take five minutes out? Do I need to book myself a holiday? Do I need to ask for help? So that nurturing part is often about coming back to some of the questions I asked before at the very start of our chat. What do I need? Mm. So notice and name, normalise the experience and nurture yourself through it, which can also be used for other people when you're needing to be compassionate toward them mm. as well. Notice what's happening for them. Are you okay? Normalise it. Oh, mate, we all go through that sometimes. I've been there myself. And nurture. What do you need right now? Mm. So it can work for self and other. Um, so those are three quick little steps in the awareness yeah, bit. Yeah, and the compassion bit that I train people in to get to that point where, okay, we can just let the pressure just break in. things down, isn't it? Really, like, totally. Yeah, totally. I, I get really that. intentional about it. I love the STR stuff as well. The, the uh, Victor Frankl's um, quote of, and I love my quotes, but the yes. the stim, in between stimulus and response, there's a gap, and in that gap is a choice, right? And I think that is and in something, that choice lies our freedom. Well, the well. Even further. So big. Yeah. It's that's massive. That is huge. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. No. <laughs> don't be ever be sorry for cutting me off. It's what everyone should probably do. I just keep going. Um I am conscious of time. We are um That's good because I'm not. We are have we been here for uh, half an hour, two we, hours? I don't even I think know. We're about an hour twenty in at the moment, <laughs> so we're, we're we're tracking well. I do want to ask one last question before sort of jump well, a couple of last questions before jumping into um, into the quick fire uh, and wrapping it up, the conversation up. The question I have is about parenting. Mm -hmm. um, how do we set up our children for, to be mentally fit? Great question. Mm. First of all, role modelling ourselves. Yeah. Second of all, being able to have age-appropriate conversations with them about these concepts as they grow. Mm. You're not going to be able to necessarily talk about cognitive behavioural technique and use STR with a three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have the metacognitive yeah. ability to engage in that conversation. But refer to uh, Monsters, Inc. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, yeah. At least start to, you know, plant some of those seeds. Yeah. But the really key thing is about the role modelling piece. If we're doing that for ourselves, the better we are at self-regulating ourselves, 
the better our children learn to self-regulate as well. Mm. They learn so much implicitly from us and that's not just in our observable behaviour but it's amazing what gets passed down subconsciously as well. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question for me because like I am, if anything, my own like biggest critic, right? I, I take everything away with me and break it down and understand it and yeah. mould it in like a big ball of Play-Doh, right? I really just try to understand what's what's going on but and i and i would love my children to have the same ability right into to self-reflect and but because it's going on in my head how do you share that right i think that's kind of my big question around this is how do i build their knowledge uh, on the self-reflection piece that they might not see the way I go about things. Yeah, absolutely. Some of that can be dinner time conversations. Mm. It can be about being vulnerable enough as a parent to go, do you know what happened for me today? I was thinking this and then this happened and I had to rethink it and I had to look at different yeah. options. So, again, it can be age-appropriate conversations, yeah. you know, depending on their developmental level. Um, but sharing of ourselves can be so powerful and we yeah. don't often do it when we're getting caught up in the action of life you know come on it's time for dinner now now you've got to put that away and you've got to do this and we get caught up in the doing you know we don't always carve out that time for just reflecting and being and sharing yeah and so I think maybe carving out more time in our lives to mimic the campfire sharing yeah would be a great way to do that we use a number system I have been using it lately with my children and we when breaking things down like my daughter had a bad morning the other morning like real bad Yep. And on the way, uh, she got it was almost World War Three in the in the Franco household, and she had. Um, and so on the car drive in, so this was she had an argument with her mother, and then I got involved. And whenever I get involved, things just get escalated. <laughs> and then on the car drive in, uh, we we sat there and and we we really broke. I think I said to her, "How, how was your morning this morning?" She was not good. Like she had tears coming down her face, Aww. and um, I said, "Okay, well, let's let's unpack it. All the little things that we ask you to do. How did you how did you perform?" And she was not very well. I said, "Okay, well, let's break that down even further. Again, when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing that we ask you to do?" And she says, "Make the bed." And I said, "On the scale of one to ten, how hard is it to to do that?" Yep. And she said, oh, "It's about a one or a two. And I said, "Okay." So it's not that hard. She's like, no. Yeah. I said, okay, the second thing, what's the She goes, get ready for school. I say, okay, how hard is that? She says, it's about a one or a two. I say, okay, so, so, so far it's, we're not asking you to do really tough things, are we? And she's like, no. Okay, what's the third thing to do? She said, come downstairs and greet mum because my wife is always down sort of getting prepared for the day. And yep. I said, how hard is that? She goes, that's a zero like that. I should just do that anyway, right? I'm like, Yes. <laughs> So number four, what's the what's the fourth thing you can do? She's like, pack my school bag. How hard's that? Not very hard. To one or two. Okay. What about number five? Number five is prepare breakfast for herself. Yep. She's ten years old. Yep. So put the toast in. How and butter your toast. How hard's that? That's probably about a three or four, right? So five being you need help. Ten being almost impossible. One to five. And so, so what we're actually asking you to do, there's nothing really in that that's overly difficult, is it? She's like, no. I said, okay, so what we're trying to do is form some habits there and get you to do that, right, every single day. It's like, yes. And I said to her, um, 
so that, that, that's the scenario, but now we have conversations. She's coming home, like I come home and she can see it myself or I'm drained or whatever it might be. And so she, the conversation comes around and it's sort of like, Dad, did you deal with some nines and tens today, did you? And Aww. I went, yeah. And I went, yeah, I did. <laughs> I actually did. And she goes, I can see it in you. Is there anything I can help you with? Oh, bless. Right? And it's just sort of like, yeah. So, like, I don't know, that number system really works when we're talking about from a difficult point of view. Yeah. Um, that's something that I've felt is working with my family at the moment if that's going to help anyone else. Oh, I like that. It. It's yeah. great to get granular with those yeah. things. And what really stood out for me in that share from you was the asking of questions as well. Mm. I think that sometimes we teach more by asking questions. Agreed. Yeah. Then we do by well, telling. You know what I actually I said this to I think one of the, the our team members I said I should put my change management hat on right and that's what you do you just ask those open ended questions and yeah. really understand where they're at. But that that in itself um, actually and what I did say when you uh, and on on the point of referring it to conversation that they're used to and I said to her because one of Sing is one of her favorite movies. Yep. And I said, oh, do you remember the when he's said uh, when you hit rock bottom the only way is up and like we can we can use that scenario today right today's only going to get better yep. everything you do today but then we got i, I want to share this because it's a good story she then we got to school we opened the boot to get her bag out and she's like i left my pencil case at home Aww. on the same morning and you could just <laughs> see the tears well up in her in her eyes and I said to her, well, here's an opportunity to step outside of our comfort zone and go ask some people in your class if you can borrow some stuff. I nice said, one. And you might pick up a pen that you like, right, and something <laughs> else that you might use that they have that you might. And she, was, and she got all excited about being able to try new stuff. So That's yeah, a think, great reframe. Yeah, it's always, always about the opportunity to learn within any situation, I think. Oh. Absolutely. And learn about each other too, mm. you know, underlying all of that. Okay. Yep. You know, is that too hard to do? Give that a one. It, it, that There's also a question around kind of going, what else is going on for you today? Mm. Did you sleep badly? You know, mm. like all this yeah. other stuff that comes into play. Because it reminded me of a situation with my stepdaughter where I'd asked her to help me do some vacuum cleaning. And she was 19 at the time. She's not a little tacker yeah. by this stage. And I said, all right, if I do these rooms, can you do those rooms? And she was like, oh, why should I do that? I barely use those rooms anyway and stormed off to her room. I was so angry. <laughs> I use this as an example when I talk about STR and kind of thinking about, okay, what are my thoughts right now? Mm. And I went straight into judgment, right? She's lazy. She's disrespectful. Rah, 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 rah. So, okay, what's going to help me calm down here so I can have a productive response? Get curious. Ask a question. Mm. I wonder if something's going on for her that I don't know about. Mm. And so I went and asked the question, hey, honey, is something happening for you today? Like that's not normally how you'd respond to me. And she just burst into tears. Oh, my God, I've just had the worst day. I had to work an extra shift at Macca's and my boyfriend's broken up with me and she was just beside herself. But because we don't always know what's yeah. underneath a response for somebody either, you know, and mm. getting curious and being able to ask those open-ended questions around what's going on for you right now. I reckon that is tough when you're in your own moment. Totally. Right. So catching yourself. Oh, yeah. Totally. Because you often see like the language, and you, I love your um, an out, uh, or scenario before with the way your language when we hear the always and never, and then you ask the question, "Are you thinking black and white at the moment?" I, I really like that. I'm going to take that one. Yeah. Um, but 
the word should, I feel like, is one of those words that get thrown around a lot. You should just know this. You should just do this. You should see what needs to be done, right? And And when other people are giving us their shoulds, we internalise them. Mm. They become our shoulds as well. I I reckon the biggest moment in my personal development has been when a psychologist said to me in my mid-20s, I want you to practice this week replacing should with could. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That just opened me up to a whole new world. I agree. I I have one similar that I use, um, replace got with get. So I've got to do this and change it with I get to do this. Right, yeah, it's just the one that I use quite a fair bit. Powerful. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> All right, quick five questions. All right, bring it on. Do I need to, like, change posture? <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself. <laughs> oh, we're big readers. I know, obviously, you are as well here. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell us what you're reading right now? I have just finished reading Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Oh, okay. And I am going back to reread his book Lost Connections. Yes, and he does a lot in the tribes. Stuff, doesn't he? he has yeah. done a bit around that. He does a lot about the social contributors the social stuff, yeah. to anxiety, depression, and the book Stolen Focus is about the attention crisis that we're seeing, people not being able to focus for long periods on anything. <laughs> really? If you had one book that you could recommend the listeners to that will help them with their mental fitness, what would that be? Oh, I'm going to give a more stock standard response and say lean into some Brene Brown stuff. Mm. Atlas of the Heart is something I'm exploring at the moment Mm. as well, which is her newest release, and it is powerful for putting language to your experiences. Coming back to that notice name bit before, that is like your Bible for being able Uh, to go to. I haven't read that one yet. Michelle's uh, just finished that one. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm due to jump into that. Really powerful. And the other more out there one I would recommend is Eckhart Tolle, A New oh, Earth. Yeah. He's more from the kind of spiritual philosophical yeah, yeah. arm, but what that did for my mental fitness cannot be underestimated. A New Earth. Yeah. I think you're the second person to have recommended that on the show. It's yeah, the new powerful. Earth. Yeah. Um, His first book, Power of Now, now. a so lot that, of people struggle with reading it because it's quite dry. Oh, it's a disaster. I, I read Dense. it. I got a lot from it. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot you can get from just the title, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, I struggled through that book. Yeah, and um, a lot of people won't want to go into New Earth because they tried Power of Now but a New Earth is written completely differently. Is it really? It's okay. much more narrative. But I, more. I think that's the reason why I haven't given it a go. Do it. Because I, I, I did like – I like the concepts of the Power of Now. Yep. So I appreciate the book for what it is, but I, yeah, I did absolutely struggle through it. And New Earth is well, a lot. I more think I struggled through it because I stopped. With, I st- it made me stop and think every two seconds. <laughs> like, and yeah. I was like, I'm never actually getting through this book because I'm just thinking all the time. Yeah, but, which you know is probably a good thing. Do you uh, <laughs> do you um, audio book or do you read, read like? I do both. You do, yeah. I do both. I've actually usually got the hard copy and the audiobook version yeah. and I'll be like, all right, I read the first five chapters, now I'm getting in the car, listen to chapter six. Yeah, I do the same. Yeah. It's so funny. And That's sometimes it. at once because I find I've absorbed things that are quite dense yeah. I like by reading, reading and listening at the yeah. same time. I, I do the exact More of same. my brain the engaged. The visual and the audio in Snap. one. Snap. Yeah. And then I write notes while they're talking yeah, as nice. well. Oh, we could geek out on this all day. Especially uh, with nonfiction. <laughs> I like to just read the manual version, like the hold oh, it in yeah, my yeah. hands for fiction. Yeah. But nonfiction, I love doing Yeah, no, agreed. Let's it sink Do in. Do you know, actually, I've started listening to some nonfiction on 
um, audio. It's really great. I'm the, I can't believe I haven't done this earlier. I literally started. I'm a big sci-fi geek, so I'm listening to The Martian at the moment. Ah, so you're listening to more story-based stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. And um, I just I don't know. It's like it's like I feel like I'm in a, in school again. Someone's reading me a book. It's really great. Sounds really nice. <laughs> Maybe I'll give more of it a go. <laughs> What's one lesson? So this is a Brene Brown question. What's one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? To ask for what I need. <laughs> yes. It comes up a lot in my conversation it because would. it's the lesson that I'm still learning. Learning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We'll just leave that one there. Now, <laughs> three people that you could invite to dinner, who would they be? Being an introvert, I wouldn't want to have too many new people at the table. So I would actually squander my opportunities to have new people at the table for preference of having people that I know there. But I would really love to meet Pink, Alicia Moore. Oh, yeah. I love her songwriting, I love her advocacy and I would love to pick her brain on life and philosophy. So mm. if I could have her at the dinner table with a couple of my best friends, that would be ace. She's pretty good. Yeah. I love it. Like, I don't know if any – like my wife is a big Pink fan mm. and I never really um, – I never really appreciated the lyric mm. that she writes. Like, yep. and, um, the, like It's poetry really, some, it, some of – some of her lyrics, so yeah. It really is. What is some of the best advice that you've ever received? My physiotherapy mentor told me when I was probably only a couple of years into my career that you are not the thing that changes people. You are just there to facilitate their change. And it just helped me to take responsibility off my shoulders mm. for being the change for them but enabling the change with them. Oh, I reckon there's a few people going through that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It took me it took me a while to really integrate that. It's a control thing, is it? it has to yeah. be. Yeah. And it came back to that ego stuff around wanting yeah. to be important, you know, like one of my deepest values is making a difference in the world and to be able to make a difference for others. What an ego trip. Mm. <laughs> mm. So Well, parenting is a big thing in that oh, as well. Absolutely. That same morning, um, but going back to the pencil case scenario, yeah. my wife emailed the teacher telling uh, the teacher that Isla left her pencil case at home. Yep. And that frustrated me because it's like, well, you didn't allow Isla to have the, well, go into the opportunity to tell the teacher herself. Yep. Because she walked in and then the teacher said, oh, you left your pencil case at home. And I was like, well, there was an opportunity there was for an opportunity. empowerment. There's an opportunity there. Yep. So, yeah. Anyway, I won't go into why my wife annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous territory, mate. Dangerous we territory. We can edit this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you had access to a time machine with only one return trip available, where would you go? Probably 20 to 30 years into the future to see what the world is like and whether we've completely destroyed it yet and come back and then make a more informed decision about how to move forward from there. Brilliant. You're one of the future tribe. I'm going to the future. We get more people going back. Mm. Actually, we, Cab, Gabs, we should do a split on who's going, who said future and who's going back. That would be good. <laughs> yeah. Because you've joined the tribe of going future. I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's happening. Is that our control thing coming in again? <laughs> I'd like to say it's our curiosity. <laughs> Possibly, yes. I think you're right. Well, being the sci-fi, I, I am a massive sci-fi geek yeah. and 
not knowing that we're going to be interplanetary really, I feel like we are going to be, but not seeing it yeah. really annoys me. <laughs> Have you seen the documentary 2040? No. I can't remember the gentleman's name who's made it. I think it's Damon somebody. And it, it's, a, it's about the climate crisis basically. Oh, yeah. And if we made these six simple changes now, which are in our power already, mm. this is what the world can look like in 2040. Yeah. But if we keep going on our current trajectory, this it is what it will look looks like. a bit worse. So I think I'd like to go to 2040 and see mm. what have we done what, and what do we still need to do. And then come back and mm. take a few photos and come back. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether that would empower me or disempower me though. <laughs> I'd be it, a bit worried about it. It'd be it. disheartening. Yeah. If you have one superhero power, what would it be? To freeze all the people around me in time so that if I was in a supermarket and it's really busy, as an introvert I can just do my shopping and not get interrupted by all the people there. <laughs> Sometimes I just want the world to stop. Yeah. Okay, everybody, you just need to stop. But why does everyone else have to stop? So I can get my stuff done. <laughs> yeah, well, what, then come up with a superpower. Like, Maybe I oh. am a control freak. <laughs> What don't we could just make them all disappear? But the superpower could be that you're like lightning speed and you can do things really quickly. <laughs> right now, everyone else is suffering. Or just click my fingers and get all the groceries yes, delivered to me. Absolutely. I still like the experience of doing it though. Sometimes I just get overwhelmed by all the humans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Humans have that effect. Yeah. Now, Love them, but sometimes they're difficult. I like a good dad mum joke, like a, a really bad joke. Have you got. A bad joke for us. A really bad one? Yeah, horrible. Can I give you like a double header bad one? Oh, this, yes. I'm <laughs> smiling already. I mean, uh. <laughs> Look, to give you context, this cracked me up when I was 10. So it's like <laughs> probably pretty bad. How do you catch a unique animal? How do you catch a unique animal? Unique up on it. Oh, it's horrible. How do you catch a tame one though? How? Tame way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well done. Still makes me laugh. I guess I'm still 10 inside. You knee up on it. Well done. Well, thank you very much, Beck, for joining us today. It's been a really amazing and and deep dive podcast. We've gone down a few rabbit holes, which has been amazing. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. Um, I know you do a lot of keynotes and, and speaking events and you get up and I know for a fact people walk away really having learned something through those little punchy keynotes that you give and uh, all the work that you're doing with with people and businesses and corporations. I guess we're very aligned in our values and, and what we're trying to achieve. So, uh, yeah, what's next for you? Where, where do you uh, – what's the next couple of years look like for you? Going more deep with my work. So I spent the last two years with a very broad approach, trying to get messaging out to as many people as possible, but not going really deep with it. And so this year I started to include much more coaching and much more deep dive and longer programs to do more of that exploration in a longitudinal kind of way. So that's what's next. Go broad as well as deep. Fabulous. Fabulous. And we'll be watching with a keen eye. Where can we find you? So smithandwellness.com is the home where a lot of resources lie. I am also somewhat active on socials, (laughs) Smith and Wellness and Instagram. Uh, I am quite active on LinkedIn under Rebecca B-E-K, Beck Smith. And I do have a YouTube channel, which I need to start updating a little bit more Mm. as well. So you can find me there. (laughs) 
Great. least some historical stuff before I start updating it again. Absolutely. <laughs> Check her out on those socials and smithandwellness.com. Yep. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Thank you very much again for your time. Can I say a huge thank you for your generosity, for your presence and for your vulnerability in sharing of yourself today as well. It's actually been really inspiring, so I'm going to walk away with taking a lot from this myself. Brilliant. Well, thank you. Thanks, mate. I try my best. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.